guys, this is Kathy, and I'm coming at you not from Paranormal Tower, but from Library Hill, which is my home. And if you ask, uh, do I name my home? Yeah, I did. It used to be a library, and it's on a hill. And so it's called Library Hill. Um, but the reason why is because, like you guys, uh, I live in an area that is becoming increasingly... Um, it's becoming increasingly dangerous to be outside uh, and, and to be uh, socially connected with people at this point. For those of you who think that this is all some kind of silly media perpetrated hoax, I hope you're right. But let's just take a couple of weeks break. Let's separate a little bit. Let's, you know, clean everything. Let's just uh, lay low for a couple of weeks and see if we can't get a handle on this be before too many of our neighbors become sick and too many of our most at risk people um, die. Um, if you think it's silly and you think it's stupid, that's okay. Listen to this story. Sit at home and listen to this story or a few of my stories and enjoy yourself. And if you don't think it's crazy, then you know what? You can listen to these stories too. And in fact, I'm going to try and produce as many of them during the week as I possibly can to keep myself entertained and hopefully to keep you entertained as well. The most important thing, guys, is that we all stay healthy and that we all stick around for as long as we possibly can. Some of these stories that we tell on Paranormal Tower are scary stories, but a lot of them are not nearly as scary as what's going on outside today. So I want you to sit back, I want you to relax, and I want you to listen to a couple of these stories. Welcome to Paranormal Tower. I have something to tell you. There are so many things in this world that we have an irrational or unfounded fear of. Spiders, clowns, that creature under your bed. All of those things may be dangerous in unique and obscure circumstances, but generally speaking, they're not. Spiders are not out to get you. There's no demon lurking under your discarded underpants. And clowns, well, you know what guys, clowns really are terrifying, so just steer clear of those. But there are certain things that we fear perhaps less than we should. Historically, many of our legends and myths are centered around places that we probably are better off being frightened of, like abandoned mines and, of course, forests. Dark forests at night, mainly. But forests are threatening. You do have things that live there that are intent on killing you. Large and scary and hungry creatures. Lions, and tigers, and bears. Oh my. And wendigos. Wait. The wendigo, the rake, slender man, all manner of these creatures. But put aside the supernatural, put aside the unknown, the stories that we're told to keep people safe, well, they were largely successful. Now imagine you live in a clearing in a forest. You may be new to the continent, as you in the United States in the 17th century, or your people may have been here for millennia. Still, it's a time of no electricity, no cell phones, no police, no rangers. It's a time when darkness brought with it not only stories of scary things, but really scary things. Perhaps your mother and father would keep you safe by telling you of witches or ogres or trolls or other strange things. Still, in truth, while they were making these things up in order to frighten you, they were right to do it. They were right to frighten you because your little dark world really was trying to kill you at night. 
Add to that the ne'er-do-wells who might stumble upon your house or village, and then, of course, there were the winter nights, which were so long and so dark and so cold, and the outside world was so hungry. You and your people would hunker down after your evening meal, perhaps around the hearth with a fire providing the only warmth and the only light. And there you would sit, awaiting the dawn. And you would feel safe in the numbers, safe in the warmth, safe in the light. But you knew, you knew that that door right there before you was the only thing that kept the outside world and all of its dangers away. You would not linger outside. You would not meander past the line of trees. You would not chase the howl to see what made it, would you? You should fear the forest. You most certainly should. But certain forests, well, those you should fear more than others. Many of our childhood nightmares come from a collected series of stories from a particular forest in Bavaria, Germany, the Black Forest. The myths and folklore, if that's what they are, were collected diligently by two brothers who believed them to be important social and historical subjects. These brothers were most aptly named. They were the brothers Grimm. Now, despite what Disney films have taught us in these last 30 years, these stories were far from delightful tales with happy endings. No, in fact, some are so dark and so twisted that I wonder that Disney chose them at all. For instance, in Sleeping Beauty, the princess's ordeal is pretty awful on all levels. While she lays in an enchanted slumber, a king finds her in the forest. And when he can't wake her, he, for lack of a better word, rapes her unconscious body. Mind you, the Grimm brothers do not sugarcoat this. These stories are terrifying, and they are intended to be that way. She becomes pregnant and gives birth to twins while she's sleeping. One of them, starving, manages to suck the poison splinter from Beauty's finger and awakens her. The king, who's already married and already has a queen, decides that he's going to marry Beauty. His wife, it should come as no surprise, is opposed to the idea and decides that she will get her point across by killing the twins and serving them to the king. Now, she was not successful. She did not kill them. She did not bake them. They actually lived. But that gave the king an idea, and he decided that divorce would be a little bit messy with this queen. And so he burned his wife alive, thus freeing himself to marry Beauty, who had little choice. Please don't ask me what happened to the Little Mermaid. But these were the stories of the Black Forest, the ones that became known as fairy tales. Yet the Black Forest has much more frightening stories and creatures than just cruel men and their wives. The witches, of course, are well known, the werewolves, the mermaids, and even children. Yes, the Black Forest is filled with stories of spirits, of giant demons who devour children who refuse to obey their parents. Not every child paid attention. Some really did leave the cabin at night. Some really did venture where they should not have. And some really were just swallowed up by the great black forest. 
And the Black Forest is massive. It covers a huge amount of space. And within it, there are still villages and towns and homesteads that are untouched and have been for hundreds of years. There are legends, of course. For instance, of bottomless lakes where kings of the underwater world rise and steal young women to people their kingdoms. Contemporary stories talk of creatures that come from the water, but these are hardly kings. In December of 2008, I trekked into the Black Forest in search of something, some feeling, I think. I mean, I'd heard so much about it, so much of my childhood, the stories that I loved and I'd heard, the lessons I was taught took place in it. I really was not prepared for the size of the place, the darkness, the... And guys, the trees, the massive trees. We had started at a place called Baden-Baden, which is an entryway to the forest. It's a spa-like city. Remember, we're modern travels, and we were riding in a comfortable car, seeking places to stop and investigate. But we had started late, and the day was incredibly short. The sun dropped like a stone as we climbed through the villages and into the forest. There are no lights. There are no guardrails. There is no Mickey Mouse. There is no Walt Disney. And after about a 40-minute drive, there were no other cars. And we had settled into silence. The joking had stopped, and a sullen quiet had wrapped us up. Belying this was the music playing. Someone had put on a traditional German yodeling CD, which was almost creepily cheerful. On other occasions, it had caused us all to laugh and attempt to follow along despite it being in German and, of course, it being yodeling. Even our guide, who was eternally chipper, became subdued. The moon, fat and glowing, became lost above the canopy. This forest, even on the road and close to civilization, was vast and dense. It was throbbing. It was... It seemed to be alive, and it seemed to be watching. From time to time, you would glimpse the tendrils of smoke rising above the tree line, off in the distance, and then you knew someone lived there. But where was there? It was the middle of no place, the middle of nothing. Just trees and trees. Now, we had gotten a very late start, and I was really disappointed that we had not reached an investigation point before the sun went down. I knew it would limit us, as would the cold. Our guide knew only where we were going, and he was not from the area. He did not know the specifics of why we were there. The forest has always been a frightening place. However, it has often provided safety for the people of Germany as well. In the past, it slowed but did not stop the progress of the Black Plague and from time to time, marauders and armies. But its vastness also provided cover for society's most heinous people and most heinous actions. They can always slip in out of the trees and find the crevices and then slip back into the darkness, can't they? It always seems that the darkest among us understand the darkness of the forest. At this point, we had traveled more than two hours into the forest and were near a place called Hornburg. We were approaching one of the places that I was curious about. In 1959, a young man named Heinrich Pomernechty tormented and terrorized this part of the Black Forest. He was a serial rapist and killer. He was beyond vicious, 
In his first murder, he attacked a woman in a sleeper car of a moving train. He raped her, and when she fought back, he dragged her from the car and flung her off the train. She was smashed against the rocks on the side of the tracks and severely injured. But he wasn't done. He then pulled the emergency cord on the train, stopping it, jumped off, ran back to where she was, stabbed her repeatedly, and smashed her head against the rocks until she died. He then raped her corpse. Pomernecki was known as the beast of the Black Forest. He committed any crime that he felt the urge to commit, including robbery, rape, and murder. He was a madman who believed women were witches and that they tempted him, specifically in movies. And the film that drove him over the edge was Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments. When he was finally caught, he was charged with ten murders, 20 rapes, and 35 robberies. And he called it the game that he could not stop playing. The area was marked, however, it seems, by his actions. The spirit of one of his victims, dragged into the woods and left to rot, has been seen here. It is a desolate and truly frightening place. I put myself in the mindset of the victim. There was no real escape because she was the captive of a madman but also because she was in this forest, this forest with a road, but no way in or out for her. Madmen are not afraid of death. They're not even scared of being stopped. They think only of that moment, that second when the compulsion is satisfied, and her fear must have been immense. She must have thought she was in the grasp of a monster, for indeed she was. As we pulled off the road onto the gravel and then into the dark, I knew I would not venture too far in. I brought with me only my phone. I was looking for a feeling, not evidence. And so I stood near the spot where she had been seen. Two hours from town, no lights, not even noises. Not yet. Just the vastness and the dark. The dark that was not even the night, but a different dark altogether. I could understand this spot being haunted. I can't say I saw anything that night. I, I, I can't. But I certainly felt something, and what I felt was cold. It was so cold, but I felt feverish and shaky, as if something was surrounding me. And I think I felt fear, and I don't usually feel that. And I've said that to you guys before. I don't get afraid not in situations like this. And so I believe I was feeling a lingering fear of hers, and perhaps I'm mistaken. I can't say for sure, but I do know that that forest is its own world. It has bends that you cannot see, and it has physics that defy our eyes. Some people will call it a vortex, but I think of it more as a world, a world that exists within but separately from our own. On the way back, we stopped at Lake Mummelsey, formed of a glacier 10,000 years ago. This pristine lake is home to the king I spoke of earlier, and from time to time, people claim to see him rise. A lake monster, perhaps, like Nessie, but granted a crown and a purpose. Often these stories rise to explain the disappearances of children and young women, why is it always young women that disappear? 
People say they ran away, and when that isn't likely, a monster rose from the lake and took her. It seems about right, doesn't it? I mean, I'm sure a monster took her, and I'm sure she ended up in that lake. But I'm not sure that the monster rose from the lake. My next forest is considered the most haunted in all of the world, and I visited there last year. Hoya Baushu Forest in Romania is most decidedly strange. In Romania, however, the people are very resistant to the belief in ghosts, or at least they're resistant to being thought that they believe in ghosts. In fact, they're very resistant to anything supernatural. And I think that has to do with the fact that so many people think of the Romani and think of fortune telling and think of Dracula when they think of Romania. And they they have a tendency to believe that that means that we in the West think of them as being less intelligent or less um, less modern than we are. And it's unfortunate. I will say this, they always, they were very eager to tell us, however, that they felt that they were a very superstitious people. So they don't believe in ghosts, but they do believe in dark spirits. It's interesting. Um, they tend to dismiss any kind of casual ghost story, but they definitely do believe in the evil eye and in evil curses. So it's an interesting dichotomy. Hoya Boshu is very interesting visually. The trees grow in kind of strange, almost human forms. They don't grow straight up, but they kind of grow into weird shapes where they're moving towards each other and then up. And it seems to defy kind of gravity and a natural path of growth. They form in circles and sometimes they create their own, spa their own paths spontaneously. And the forest has long been known as a hotbed of strangeness and paranormal activity. We always want to know why, but here it seems that it simply is. There doesn't seem to be a reason why. There doesn't seem to be, there's no curse that happened in the forest. There was no murder. There was no, no specific uh, folklore that created the paranormal reputation of this forest. It seems instead to have always had it, which leads some people to believe that it's actually a vortex. It's actually a place where paranormal activity originates and it's is not a result of something else it falls upon a spot in the earth where the planes of existence just seem to shift more easily people have reported seeing strange lights and orbs with their own eyes and not only in pictures they hear a disembodied female voice this is what is most commonly reported that seems to call them deeper and deeper into the forest they claim that as they get deeper and deeper into the forest she's always just a little bit off always kind of encouraging them to follow and then they can become disoriented and lost one woman got lost in the forest for five days finally stumbling out near where she went in with no recollection of the time she had spent there save for the voice that she followed it probably comes as no surprise that UFOs are commonly reported here, both from outside the forest and from within. Locals refuse to enter because they fear that they won't return, or if they do, they'll come back changed. In the 1970s, a very famous UFO photograph was taken here, and that's become something that people commonly refer to when they think of this particular forest. And I can attest to the fact that you feel differently in the forest. You definitely feel watched. It's strange and it's beautiful and it's beautiful in a strange way. 
whether it's the natural ambiance of the place or it's the humidity or the barometric pressure or, or whatever else, it's there's or even a strange electromagnetic vibe to it, you feel a presence. You don't feel alone. You feel as if somebody is just reaching out for your shoulder. And it can be really unnerving. I'm sure that there are those of you out there who will say that all of this is explainable. And I'm sure that it is. But I ventured in there in daylight and I did not go at night. I would not hesitate to do so, but I would definitely want to bring some kind of a breadcrumb to leave behind me to make sure that I found my way out. And what of you, dear listener? What strange stories have you got? What strange experiences have you gotten up to in your neck of the woods? I would love to hear your stories. Send them to me at mystory@paranormaltower.com. Or call our hotline and tell them to us yourself at 732-737-9212. If I use your story on our podcast, you're going to get some nice piece of swag. I hope you've enjoyed this week's Tales from Paranormal Tower. Please make sure to follow us on social media. Visit ParanormalTower.com for links to our social media pages and our show notes. Please also make sure to subscribe, download, like, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And please share us with your friends, as that's the best way to keep us up and running and growing. If you're so inclined, please support us on patreon.com forward slash paranormal. And guys, until we meet again, stay safe. Keep your eyes, your ears, and most importantly, your mind wide open.